The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well listen to old archive shows. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. So does anyone want to gamble and take a chance on calling the presidential election now? Do we feel safe doing that? Are we good here? Uh, <laughs> how many more lawsuits will have to be filed first? <laughs> exactly. It's actually interesting. It was only about two hours after we got off the year on Saturday that the, they declared Biden the victor. Yep. And certainly the world in general on the market pre- reacted. The presumptive victor. Mm-hmm. Yes, good point. Good point. <laughs> barring barring lawsuits and, yeah, yeah. And when I say barring, I guess uh, bar is part of this. Good choice of word, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yes, crazy world. Uh, it's, you know. So let me ask you this question, guys. Because there was that indecision, and I guess still will be right till the very end of it all, does that, does that change anything on the markets, or does the system just play itself out? Well, generally speaking, the markets have taken this into account. They, they've already got Biden as the victor. They, they pretty much thought that was the case going in, so you're seeing it start to rise as the polls were suggesting that he was going to win. So a lot of this was taken into effect before. Um, as it turned out, it was a lot closer than they expected. And it seems that you know, Donald Trump doesn't have a whole lot to say on this uh, you know, Biden victory. And that's, time will tell. Um, you know, stranger things have happened in the last four years, so who knows? I know we were covering this topic, uh, you know, a lot over the last couple of months, but I think just in recent weeks, and we were going through the different scenarios about who would win, who has control of the Senate. And I think this is sort of a Goldilocks scenario that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where Biden is the victor, but um, a, a Republican Senate, which is still up in the air, maybe till January, but a Republican Senate sort of keeps the brakes on any massive taxation or massive, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, administration in terms of regulations, et cetera. So, so I think that's positive for everybody. And, um, in fact, and now we have a Pfizer announced a, a, uh, a vaccine, yeah. which is 90% effective, and that was very positive in terms of the stock market results. And uh, Don and I, I want to go back again, like till March or April, because we were having conversations about COVID back then. And I remember we said one of the big surprises is we're going to see a so a vaccine come out before the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, so you know what? Just listen to us every Saturday morning. <laughs> basically, got we've got all the answers, and you can base base your life on everything we say. <laughs> and they do have uh, everything in place to have this you know, distributed pretty quickly. And, of course, it hasn't been fully out there yet, but it's, you know what, the, the bottom line is some very good news. And the markets totally kind of reversed themselves in a, in a way that the stocks that had been doing extremely well, and we call those the stay-at-home stocks, they took a beating after this announcement. And something like Peloton, which would be the indoor cycling company, so the, it, it went down 20% in one day. Then on the other hand, you got Carnival Cruises. They were up over 40% in one day. 
And Air Canada stock was up about 20% one day. So you saw an absolute reversal of the type of stocks of which ones were going up and which ones were going down. And at the end of the day, if you look at the volatility of all these things, you know, this is why I have a financial plan. Nobody can predict these type of things. I personally wouldn't want to have to watch that closely to the markets to dictate how I'm going to invest my retirement funds. I'll let the experts do their things. They may have a little bit in certain sectors, such as the healthcare sector, such as the airline sector, such as, you know, perhaps even some cruise lines. And they may have some sectors like that, but they won't put it all in that sector. And it was interesting, if you had all your money in that sector, I saw one, one portfolio that had that, and it was up 80% year-to-date. And then it turned around, and now it's up about 55% year-to-date. Like, talk about volatility. Still doing cr- extremely well. But that could also go down quite quickly, too. So, you know what, um, the skinnier branches you're out in, the more volatility. And this is why having a very good, very well-diversified portfolio always does well for you. Um, as a, as a, we've said many times, you know, diversification is you'll never make a killing, but you'll never get killed. And this never showed more than that when they announced this vaccine with uh, how much volatility happened. And it was interesting. Just Again, just the swings of specific stocks in that day was incredible. But uh, on a different note... Uh, the best way to help your kids financially. And that's a topic that seems to be more and more important than ever right now. I don't know about you, Andy. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of my clients helping out their their kids. Uh, You know what? I have clients that are saying, I don't want to help them. I can't wait till they're out of the house and they're on their own. (laughs) They're out of the nest. And then others that, um, you know, the, the, the charity just... Just and welfare just keeps on flowing. So wow. <laughs> it's uh, both ends of the spectrum. And, and it is interesting. I, I, I know about your parents, but my parents were saying, well, you're on your own, son. And, uh, and maybe there's something about keeping your work ethic so it's not fed to you so easily. But at the same token, if you look at university costs and how much they've gone up compared to the minimum wage costs or what university students can get as a summer job, in the last 35 years we've been in this business, it's gone, one has gone at a far greater pace than the other. So to, to be able to afford $20,000 per year to have your kid go to uh, a university and live away from home, and that's actually maybe even on the conservative side now, that, it's very tough for a student to make $20,000 in the summer. Now, going back to when we were going to school, Andy, and again, we're dating ourselves at like 84, 85, and I started in 1980, Tuition was less than a thousand dollars, and you could probably you could get by on five or six thousand dollars, and potentially, and most people still could make that in the summer. But you could at least get close to that. Now it's a lot harder. So one of the things that I always suggest, and we you know we always suggest rather, is if you're going to help your kids and you're going to start early, start with a registered education savings plan. That's just the starting block. You can't beat them. You're getting twenty percent grant money from the government that's added to this, you're allowed, you basically, there's $7,200 that the government has with your name, with your kid's name on it, and all you have to do is come up with the other portion, which is 36000 And that doesn't have to be done over one, one year. That's done over 18 years. So it's just a fantastic program. All those funds grow tax-free. Uh, it's a massive help. I've seen a lot of my 
my uh, clients um, go through this, and they think, how do the parents without these survive? It's incredible because, you know, it's hard. All of a sudden it's like, wow, my kids are now 18. Time flies. It's just absolutely incredible how fast they grow up. And then all of a sudden it's like, whew, we need to come up with 20 grand for the next four years, each year. And you can easily get $60,000 to $80,000 if you started early enough and get the government grant money, depending how you invested it. Um, I, we always recommend more of a balanced approach, but it, I, we can't preach this enough. And it doesn't have to be just from the parents. The grandparents could also kick in. And quite frankly, they're usually in better financial shape than the parents because they've got a lot more going on. So that's number one. Number two would be a registered disability savings plan, something that we don't talk about too much. This isn't really for... Uh, education purposes, this is really for long-term savings for a disabled child for their retirement. And it's on, it's, you think the RESP is a good deal. The RDSP, for Registered Disabled Savings Plan, Disability Savings Plan, first of all, in the first $500 you put in, you get $3 for every dollar you put in. Then for the next 1000 you get $2 for every dollar you put in. So, therefore, if you put in $1,500, you get $3,500 added to this program for a total of $5,000 working for you. So, the maximum the government will put in will be $70,000. And it's one of the best-kept secrets out there. So many people are not using this program. And it's just a matter of what qualifies um, as a disability. Basically, if you qualify for the disability tax credit, you qualify for this. That's in a nutshell. Uh, third is tax savings accounts. I know we've talked about them a lot, but for kids that are now over 18 years old, once they turn 18, you can put in $6,000 as of this year into their TFSA. So what a great way to multiply your tax savings account room. So you, your husband and wife are both putting their 6000 each, and let's say you have two kids now over 18, they both qualify for 6000 each also. And you can gift your child any amount of money as long as they're over 18, and it could go into the TFSA and grow tax-free. On top of that, if you have been building up RESP room, what I normally recommend is starting to take those funds out of the RESP when the kids hit 18 and start moving it into their own tax-free savings account. So now their own growth is tax-free, and they don't have to worry about reporting any of that income on their tax return after, after they draw out the RESP. So basically, all that grant money that the government gets, gives you for an RESP is taxable. But the kids normally aren't in a, a taxable situation because of tuition expenses. So you should definitely take out as much as you can out of the RESP and move it to the TFSA, and then it's tax-free growth. And there's also no strings attached. Once it's in a TFSA, you don't have to worry about showing proof of enrollment You've got the money out, you've got the grant money, you've got the growth money, it's all in the TFSA. Um, the next section that is very helpful, and we're seeing this more and more, is real estate. Parents are really helping kids get into the real estate market. And we don't have to you know, be brain surgeons to figure this out why. It's basically the price of real estate, and particularly in Ontario, has gone up dramatically over the last number of years. And this is making it very difficult for the first-time home, um, first home buyer. So 
what I'd like to, right after the break, we'll go over this a little bit more on how you should help out, kind of the pros and cons of helping a child get into their first house. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button or listen to old archive shows. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. All right, we're talking about best way the best way to help your kids uh, with their financial planning. And yes, we're just touching on real estate, and it's such a difficult thing for that child of yours to get into the real estate market. Often they get into rent, and they're paying a rental fee, and they can't save that money because the, they're paying it in rent now, and they're trying to build up a down payment. So quite frankly, it, it, it becomes a, a, just chasing their tail, trying to get that down payment. So this way, parents often are helping out. And you've got to be careful, though. There's a few ways to do it. One is um, simply you can gift them money, and they can pay you back, and it's an interest-free loan. Now, you've got to be careful if you've got more than one child. You may want to make sure that is itemized in case uh, for your will's purposes so that you're not favor- favoriting one child over another. Um, the other one is a, a lot of parents are co-signing for their kids. And so perhaps they can, they can put the money in, they got the down payment, but they still don't qualify for the financing for that mortgage. Well, when you co-sign, it is really your loan. And it is, so if, if your child cannot make the payment, it is on you to make the payment. And if you don't, uh, it's going to be affecting your credit rating. So it may as well be your loan. And so that's something you've got to be very careful about. Uh, another option that I've seen a few people do is, is getting into a rental property or kind of a hybrid where they're buying it, living in part of the house, and renting out the other portion. And this seems to be working quite well for a lot of people. Uh, obviously, we're not talking about short-term use rentals like Airbnb. That's uh, taken a bit of a hit with COVID. But longer-term rentals, and this has worked, again, very well where, you know, you can possibly buy a house, renovate it, or get a duplex already that allows tenants. And in fact, for that matter, some with just an extra bedroom. And they're renting out that extra bedroom for, you know, $800, $1,000 a month. So there's lots of ways to do this. You know, speak to your financial planner. See what makes the most sense for your situation. Another way to help out the kids is insurance. I know Andy and I, we, we see a lot of the uh, kids of our, of our clients now, and they are woefully insured, particularly for disability coverage and critical illness, because quite frankly, they can't afford it. So here they are in their, uh, you're working towards their peak earning years in their 20s and 30s, and they don't have enough disability coverage. And if they get any type of, disability, long-term disability, there goes that mortgage, there goes that financial plan. So another option is why doesn't the parent pay for the insurance? And you can, in fact, you can even get one with return of premium. So you're paying it for, say, 15 years, and then after it's done, 15 years later, 
they can continue it, or you get all your money back. The parent gets the money back. And so it's almost like a, a yearly gift, but you know peace of mind that the kids are covered, and that can be done for both uh, disability coverage and critical illness. And so great idea for helping out the kids because it's one of those things that's overlooked. Life insurance, many, most people have their mortgages insured, but quite often they don't have a disability, proper disability coverage or critical illness, and 80% of mortgage foreclosures is due to a disability, not a death. And finally, have that talk. You know, it's quite often that parents are very secretive about their money and they don't bring their kids into the whole financial planning talk and in the meeting. And it's interesting, they found in the U.S. particularly, and I don't know about the, in Canada, but there's a correlation between welfare recipients of the parents and welfare recipients potentially of their kids, that their kids often do, because they see this kind of way of living and it kind of carries on. The same thing is likely true, and I definitely would suggest it is from talking to my clients, that our kids, the kids of clients do extremely well when they're brought into it and they start off early and they've, we've already dealt with their parents and now the kids are coming on board and now they're talking and they're starting up a plan and they're adding monthly and they got all the base of, of starting it early. And I can't say strongly enough how much it's helped them. So anyhow, those are the ways of helping out the kids financially. I know Andy is talking about the other end of it, uh, saying, well, what about downsizing? And hopefully that's not because they've helped out the kids too much. That's right. <laughs> no, I was uh, I was recently referred to somebody um, about their situation, and they were just sort of at the crossroads where they're thinking about downsizing and changing up their situation. And so um, just to, for the listeners, I'll sort of run through uh, where they sit today, what were their uh, main goals or concerns, and then um, what were some of the, the strategies that we came up with to help them. And I just, you know, as a reminder, too, I know while Don and I are used to doing business face-to-face with our clients, we're certainly completely prepared for today's virtual business model and uh, and the evolving circumstances we're in. So we have the ability to set up and execute your financial plan virtually, although we it'd be nice to meet face-to-face, obviously, and Zoom, et cetera, or Microsoft Teams allows us to actually at least see people when we're going through this planning process with them. So uh, John and Mary Smith uh, referred to me, and John is 75, and he retired from Stelco, and Mary's 80, so five years older. And um, they own their own home, and it's a large property in Hamilton, um, roughly about two acres. And uh, so they've always really enjoyed the gardens. Um, they love, you know, doing the festive decorations at, uh, at various times of year. Uh, and they, want to, they wanted to stay in the home as long as possible. But they're concerning. They're concerned about you know maybe there could be some major expenses coming along with the home as time goes on, and right now they're they're still independent. But John admits that you know he can't walk as far anymore. So, in terms of maintaining the property, that's becoming physically more demanding for him. And um, and Mary has been you know we haven't and this is a difficult subject for people to talk about. But cognitively, in terms of she she has some memory concerns. And she's worried that she might be failing to some extent uh, in her ability to be independent as well. So they've started, you know, and they've had friends that have looked at places like Garth Trails, Village, Village of Lancaster. So these are basically sort of retirement communities where you own your home, 
but um, you know the maintenance and a lot of the overall upkeep is uh, is done through a group or a uh, monthly maintenance fee on the properties as well. So it, the nice thing about that is it gave them sort of a yard that they could continue to putter in, do some gardening, and sort of decorate the home as they see fit. Um, you know, lots of storage because downsizing from a big place it's it's not easy to where does all this stuff go. And of course, there's going to be some support systems in place that are a little closer to all of those things. Social life is certainly an opportunity as well. There's everything from, you know, golf leagues to bowling leagues to card games, you name it. There's always something going on. And roughly, those properties cost somewhere around 600000 give or take. And um, and then you would have a monthly ma- monthly maintenance fee of around 350 a month in that, in that ballpark as well. So today, where do they sit? Um, well, they're, like a lot of people, they're house-rich and cash-poor. And uh, so they're sitting on a home that's worth about $1.3 million. And um, they had set up a line of credit uh, a number of years ago, which was basically uh, allowed them to tap into the equity of their home. This is a home equity line of credit, which was uh, an amount of 200000 And right now they owe 100000 so they've been having to use that line of credit to meet for meet um, any large demands, cash-wise or um, repairs, etc. And they've simply been paying interest only. So it's roughly about two hundred and fifty a month. Um, Mary has a RIF uh, left, but there's only about twelve thousand in it, and they're taking out uh, two thousand a month. Um, <clears throat> and then they have uh, uh, some uh, a vehicle, etc. So their net worth is somewhere around $1,250,000 in, in ballpark figures. Um, Income-wise, uh, John has uh, a pension from Stelco, 25000 a year, and then they both had um, Canada Pension Plan and some old-age security, so that's another 30000 a year, and then that RIF of 2000 so about 57000 a year of income. And they don't pay much tax. It's only uh, their total tax bill, when we did the analysis, is only about $3,000. So their tax rate is 5.26%. 5.26%. So basically left with $54,000 after tax, and they spend it all. So in terms of their ongoing expenses and lifestyle, property taxes, you name it, um, that money pretty much is gone all the time. So... They have a few uh, financial concerns, and we've talked a little bit about that. But uh, John's also worried, you know, if he dies, will Mary be okay? You know, how's that going to unfold if he were to prematurely die? Uh, He does have a a 60% survivor um, amount on the pension, so the $25,000 would drop by ten dollars to $15,000 a year, and there's really no indexing in that as well. So... um, the other thing they're concerned about is vehicle replacement. So previously, you know, this is sort of those major purchase things. When they bought a car, uh, vehicle, they've, um, they've been lucky to get maybe some low financing or 0% financing, and they've tried to manage the payments through their cash flow or by dipping into uh, the home equity line of credit. Um, they have one son. And the son has become estranged. They, um, in, in some cases, they don't hear from him for over a year. Sometimes you hear from them once a year, so they're really not connected at all. And um, John says, you know what, we want to spend all our money. We're not really interested in leaving an estate. And um, Mary, you know, still feels that connection, and it's important for her. She wants to leave an estate. 
So they have differences of opinions in terms of how they want to see that unfold as well. Um, and so, you know, and then they're worried, well, maybe this is all too late. You know, we, um, we can't travel right now because of COVID. You know, our health is, is changing as well. Should, is this still, should we be thinking about this sort of transitional move to another house? Or should we be thinking more about, you know, like long-term care and a condo type of thing? So we talked about that for a little bit and decided, you know, there's still, there's still enough things they want to do to, in terms of enjoying life that um, the transition to another property still makes sense. So um, the, the basic plan we came up with, and we did an analysis, a Monte Carlo analysis, and we do our um, living plan assessment where we give them a score out of 100. And as a reminder, when we score that, we're looking at the six key components of everyone's financial life. The first one, and the most important one, would be optimizing your retirement. Uh, the next one would be managing your cash flow. Uh, planning for major expenditures, preparing for the unexpected, and sharing your wealth or the estate perspective of your plan as well. So on an overall score, they got a 61. And basically what it means is that they don't have any capital right now. They just have $12,000 left in a rim. So all their capital is tied up in their home. So it makes it very difficult, and they owe money. So managing for their cash flow, they only got a score of 50 out of 100. Preparing for the unexpected, they got a zero. Um, sharing their wealth, they're, at this point, the home would be left over, so they actually got a larger number there. They got a 90 on that one, but their retirement came in at um, 62%. So, um, you know, in our world, we look at if your score is under 40, you're in the red zone, and there's a lot of work to do, and we're happy to do that. But you know, these guys were in the yellow zone between 40 and 70 and um, and then you're in the green zone if your score is 70 plus. So this is just our way of tracking the results. And as Don and I layer on different strategies for your retirement plan, the goal is to improve that living plan assessment score. So basically, we're putting it in writing, and then we're providing you um, a, a report card at the end to show you this is what we've done, and here's how it's improved your overall financial well-being. So we started to sort of pull apart this uh, selling of the home. And, of course, now they hadn't done anything to TFSAs along the way because they didn't have any capital to do that. So as we looked at selling the home in early 2021, um, the estimate is maybe about $1.3 million. So um, uh, they'd have to pay off the line of credit. So that would leave them $1.2 million. And from that, uh, the first thing we wanted to look at is maximizing their tax-free savings plans. So that'll be seventy-five thousand each. Currently, the limit sixty-nine thousand. Another six thousand will be uh, eligible for next year's contribution. So in twenty twenty-one, seventy-five thousand each. That's one hundred and fifty thousand. Now we talked about the fact that you can designate a beneficiary on your TFSA, and that um, if you make each, if you make your spouses the successor holders, then it goes to them, and it sort of stacks on top of their contribution room. So that's a nice feature, and it's obviously there's no estate taxes, etc. But the other option we talked about is Mary could designate their son as beneficiary on her plan and the context that despite what else they do with their estate, that there would be one chunk of money that would go directly to their son. And, um, and that's something that seemed to make sense, maybe appeased that, you know, she wanted to do something and he didn't. So um, the next, obviously, big chunk is buying that next home. So we budgeted 600000 for that to do the next property. And, um, and that leaves around 450000 460000 So we're going to invest 400000 
And that's going to go into what we call a corporate class kind of investment structure. And these are managed investments, so a managed portfolio, with a, a 5% expected um, yield or, or investment return. And they're going to take 1000 a month from that. So this is going to be additional cash flow for them to be able to have some more choices. Uh, and then in addition to that, we're going to leave about fifty to 60000 as an emergency fund. They've never had fifty or 60000 in their bank account to just be able to use and spend. And so obviously a vehicle is top of mind. At some point, they're going to use maybe half that to uh, purchase a vehicle, but still leave themselves a nice little emergency reserve as well. And um, so <clears throat> the, um, uh, the, the and then looking at that estate as well, we... Um, Looking forward, basically, we're growing their estate, almost doubling where it is right now over the, to, to age 90 over the next 15 years to about 2.3 million, and, um, and which is a which is nice position to be in. And again, we'll have to have further discussions about whether that transitions to the sun or to charity or how they're going to plan to um, use up that or what to do with that estate capital. So we do this, um, the final thing we do, which is a Monte Carlo analysis, which is the study or, or a a risk analysis of what's the probability of you making it to 90 and your investments not running out, et cetera. And of course, they were very low right now, but based on the new plan, we brought them right up to 100%. Mm. In other words, so like so many people, they have a lot of capital that is locked up in their home, and but they're living a lifestyle which always feels like it's on the edge. And so that is a you know, it's not a very good sleep at night factor knowing that, you know, a big a big expense on your home is the next thing that could, or your car, could really put you over the edge and add additional stress to you. So it just felt like this is the time to really make some decisions, move forward in terms of their plan, and be able to um, have a lot better sleep at night factor and a little bit more fun and a lot less stress going forward. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Uh, just obviously came out of a U.S. election, and you've got some reasons why we shouldn't let uh, shouldn't let elections uh, base our financial decisions or certainly determine those financial decisions. Yes, we've gone through a number of elections over the years, Andy and I, and I can definitely say that one election over the other, this one may have been a lot more stressful uh, than I remember the other ones, maybe because it's so new in our in our minds. But at the end of the day, they should not drive your investment de- in, uh, investment decisions. And you think back to 2020, what a year this has been, okay? First of all, of course, there's been an election. Then we've had a pandemic this year, which resulted in a recession, uh, two negative quarters this year. And to top it off, we even had a close call with a truck-sized asteroid passing 2,000 miles from Earth back in August. That was by far, by, by, that is also a record, by the way, of how close an asteroid has come to Earth, and at least since they've been keeping records, I'm sure there was a long one uh, back in the dinosaur days or so they tell us. But at the end of the day, you know, 
election results rarely are critical drivers of the long-term market or economic activity. You know, all these doomsday predictions based on which party gets in or retaining power rarely ever happens. And you were, we heard Trump talk about, you know, if Biden gets in, your 401k will drop. Now, that 401k is simply the U.S. version of an RSP. And people were literally being interviewed, say, I don't want my 401k to drop, so I'm going to be voting for Trump. And, and that, you know, you can't take credit for the market going up or down. These are companies run by very smart individuals. And it's kind of interesting. I know when Trump got elected four years ago, it was like the first month he was taking credit for the market going up. And he hadn't even started yet. And markets always are forward-thinking. They're always thinking six months to a year in advance. So certainly, you know, some policies may have some effect on the markets. But those policies, um, you, you look at um, the tariffs that were put on China, for example. Companies started moving their head offices to um, Taiwan and other countries to avoid tariffs. So they're very nimble. They will change. And, yes, they may have some some. Um, they do have an effect on the markets in general, but only short-term effect. So when you're looking at a long-term plan, it should not be part of it. Now, investors try to connect these campaign promises as if they're going to be legislation. And that's also not the case. You know, how many times have uh, campaign promises never came to fruition? And as Andy talked about earlier, when you have one president with a divided uh, Senate, and so you've got Democrat president with a Republican Senate, everything gets tamed down a bit. It doesn't quite get to where you think. And so they may not get all the big nuggets they want. They may get some of them or less of them, but they'll get, it, it takes years for that matter. And I remember going back to Reaganomics when they were going to say, I'm lowering income tax. And it seemed like, are you kidding me? We're in a, you know, there's a big deficit already. The country's in a recession. And it was like a big deal. And they lowered income tax. He really didn't get credit for it because all of a sudden all the people had more money. And all that money took years for it to go filter through. And it was the next president that really got the benefit of those changes. So, and again, so really I look at the presidents. Yes, they can make some changes that help fiscal policy and does go with the direction of the market. But really, we can't predict those. Nobody can. And so that's why every day the market is going up or down on a daily basis, and that's called speculating. If you're looking at it, which way the market's going to go tomorrow, who knows? But which way the market is going to go in 10 years, very predictable. Things are very predictable. The market goes up and all but. In Canada, it's always been a positive 10-year return. In the U.S., there was only one 10-year period that wasn't positive. So many of the long-term themes continue with or without a new president. So the health care theme, the immigration, climate change, trade, a lot of these issues will carry on whichever the president is. So it really doesn't matter. But there's also a lot of the themes that really have no, no effect on the stock market. And you think of, what about gun control laws? Well, okay, that's a big theme, something that is talked about a lot. And other than perhaps gun maker stocks, it really has no bearing on which way the stock market's going. So making extreme changes to your portfolio will definitely have a negative impact, and it will be very difficult for you to re recover later. So those people that took the money out thinking it was going to be a, a Trump president back in 2016, they, when did they get back in? 
the market was already going up. And those that this year said, oh, geez, if Biden gets in and the market's going to go down, if they took their money and put it on the sidelines, they missed a big run-up for that also. So really, take a deep breath. Maintain a long-term view aligned with your own life, with your lifestyle goals and your personal risk tolerance. Your personal risk tolerance is extremely important. Don't get caught up in the which, which is the best stock today kind of thing. Um, always look to take advantage of what you can control. You can control tax planning. You can control estate planning. You can control income splitting. And you can control the long-term returns based on allocation, not short-term returns. So 2020, as I said, it, take a deep breath. It will be very similar to like most asteroids, meaning this too shall pass. <laughs> we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at, fi- at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about the financial impact of a pandemic. Yeah, I think this is sort of the, I guess, the the life lessons of what has happened as a result of a pandemic. And for many people, financially, it's it's kind of all over the map. There's some people where it, they're perfectly fine and nothing has really changed. Um, we, we see some people that are even better off in the context of where they are financially. And then we see other people that have been hurt uh, because of the pandemic and, and the financial impact of it. And so for many Canadians, I think this is, in reality, it's a wake-up call. Uh, and it's a wake-up call to know that you've got adequate resources or like a cash cushion to be able to survive this type of situation in the future. And, you know, no one's immune. I was um, <clears throat> having a discussion with a client who's, um, whose son is a successful dentist in Toronto. And they had, uh, in fact, just recently opened up another office. And now they're struggling, uh, looking for financing to bridge over through the expenses of, of maintaining the lease and that office um, with less than 25% of the customers that they used to have. So it's a really tight situation for people in this type of situation. So um, you don't know who it's going to affect and to what extent it's going to affect people. And everybody has made business decisions in last year based on no pandemic. And then all of a sudden, here we are. So when you think about a, a, a cash cushion, um, you know, we always think about how many months reserve should you have, or do you have access to capital? And, you know, so if you were thinking about how much money do I need to put aside or how much money should I have available? And, it's different for everybody. If you're not retired, you know, I think a conservative approach, maybe you've got 20 grand that's sitting there is available to be able to handle an expense that you didn't foresee or a stop in income. If you're, uh, and that could be just money just sitting in a high interest savings account, very liquid, a money market fund that's available to you. 
if you're a little more aggressive or moderate aggressive, then you might uh, position that cushion through a home equity line of credit. So what you're doing there is you're taking the equity in your home, you're attaching a line of credit to it. There's no generally no cost to set those up, and you're certainly not paying any interest unless you use it. And so um, being able to access that home equity line of credit if you have a period of, of stock or cash flow issues is a great way to do it. Now, obviously, it has to be paid back at some point, so it, it's not like you're taking it out of a, of a savings account. Now, the big thing on this, the, I guess, the lesson going forward then is once we're back on your once you're back on your feet, if you don't have a home equity line of credit right now, you've got to apply for it when you don't need it. The last thing you want to do is try to go into your financial institution when you're strapped for cash flow, saying, "I want to set up a line of credit." as the red flags will go off. <clears throat> and you'll either, you may not get as, as an attractive an interest rate, there may be additional costs associated with it, um, or, or ratio higher ratios, you may not be able to access as much as you originally thought. So the lesson through all of this is if you're still on your feet and you're getting better, maybe set these things up just in case you need them in the future going forward as an emergency. <clears throat> and I think for, for seniors and retirees, well, everybody saw a big drop in their value of their investments in March, right? And that was a real wake-up call as well. So if you're a retiree and you're drawing money out of your investments, you begin to feel a little uneasy as you see a 25 or 30% drop in the market value, and now you're cashing in money in securities to meet your monthly cash flow needs. And so, you know, we, we call this the the... The idea or the strategy of them would be to what we call a cash wedge. And a cash wedge is, again, just like that short-term reserve or cushion where you've got a certain number of months or years uh, cash investments set aside in something that's very conservative that you can flip over or pivot. That seems to be our big COVID uh, expression <laughs> is to pivot away from selling your investments during the downtimes and being able to access that cash wedge to bridge yourself through until things have returned back to a normal sort of market condition. So let's say you're living on 6000 a month, and those are your, uh, as a retiree, that's your um, ongoing fixed costs and lifestyle costs. So a cash wedge could be as much as one, two, or three years worth of income. So if you imagine if there was a back-to-back downturn in the stock market, if you had two years cash wedge sitting on the sidelines, you could now just tap into that, sleep at night, no worries about what's going on in terms of the stock market gyrations. But it's a lot of money, right? So at one year's reserve is seventy two thousand, two years is a hundred and forty four thousand, three years is three hundred and sixteen thousand dollars, sorry, two hundred and sixteen thousand dollars that you need to leave in a short term vehicle. So what's the negative? The negative is basically a drag on your long-term returns, right? You're, you're sacrificing that money growing at a potentially higher rate of return for that sleep-at-night factor and more stability. So, And again, that short-term reserve, that cash wedge can go into a money market fund instrument, a cashable GIC, uh, and potentially even a conservative or low-risk investment portfolio. So there are some options for that. And again, this is very individualized in terms of how big that cash wedge is going to be, but it's a logical strategy for those retirees and seniors uh, just to add in, sort of uh, bulletproof your 
portfolio and your retirement against pandemics, against economic recessions, against uh, the periods of volatility where your first your first inclination is to call your advisor and say, get me out, you know, or, or move it to cash, and where your advisor cannot say, wait a minute, you don't need to do anything, you don't need to panic, you can simply tap into your cash wedge, we'll turn the tap off from your investments, and we'll turn the tap on from your cash wedge. Now you've got a financial plan, now you've got peace of mind in terms of the continuity and just confidence in terms of your, your ability to enjoy your money and enjoy retirement without overly stressing yourself. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. Take care, everybody. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.